Well, welcome everybody to episode 28 of the Blow Off Valve podcast. This week, we're going to be focusing on some kind of interesting news items, uh, both from the motorsports and uh, just regular automotive world. No F1 race this week. Uh, we'll be back uh, next week. Uh, is it next week? With um, I think the yeah, I'm pretty the sure. British. British yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Anyways, there's an F1 race next week. I think we've week. got a week off. We'll yeah. definitely be checking it out. <laughs> um, <laughs> so this is this actually happened a couple of weeks ago around the uh, Festival of Speed, but you know we had our our motorsports discussion last week with the British GP, so we saved it for this week. But the Aston Martin Valhalla was unveiled officially um, a few years after it was announced. It was originally planned as a hybrid V6. This was back in the Andy Palmer, uh, Aston Martin CEO days. Uh, but since the initial, you know, discussion of this car, the CEO, Andy Palmer, was replaced by Tobias Moores, the former head of AMG. And Lance Stroll, uh, you know, we all know, has taken over control of the board of directors. So the people that are having to sign off on this project have completely changed uh, since it was first announced. And this was part of their work with Red Bull at the time. The Aston Martin Valkyrie being the, the kind of top tier car that was being worked on that Adrian Newey, Red Bull's uh, F1 car designer, had pinned. And obviously that relationship is kind of broken apart now with Aston Martin fielding its own F1 team or sponsoring them. Um, mm-hmm. The design of the car also has significantly changed. And the Valhalla is now going to use a 4-liter twin-turbo V8 source from AMG, which is basically a, a kind of a slightly tuned version of the flat plane crank v8 that goes in the amg gt black series so very high horsepower um really cool sounding engine it's going to be a plug-in hybrid it's got an electrically powered front axle and then the rear axle is going to be powered by both the ice engine as well as the second motor peak horsepower is 937 the 062 time which you know the brits uh measure zero to 100 kilometers so zero to 62 mm-hmm. mile per hour will be 2.5 seconds and they're predicting a Nürburgring time of 6 minutes 30, which, if that is anywhere close to reality, will be incredibly impressive because the current production car record uh, is held by the Manti Racing GT2 RS with uh, a time of 6.43.3. So Aston Martin thinks they're going to take 13 seconds off the record, which is a huge leap forward. Again, that's all theoretical. They haven't run it yet. That's just what simulations, I guess, are saying they should run. It was supposed to be limited to 500 cars that were going to be 1.3 million each. Now the car is going to cost 800,000 each, but they're not putting a production limit on the car. So uh, the first customer deliveries are expected to begin in the second half of 2023. It's a really interesting car, but I kind of want to get your thoughts on, do you think it's going to be two things, bold or stupid for Aston to charge more for this car than Ferrari does for the more powerful SF90 Stradale, which starts at 625? Or, and do you think it's a mistake to not cap production numbers for something like this? Yeah, I mean, you know, Aston Martin's an interesting company. They, I think that they're in a position where it is probably reasonable to have a halo car Mm-hmm. that cost this amount you know when you look at a, a db11 mm-hmm. and what those cost like you're already at a price point that's expensive right and so to say hey this is our halo car it's mm-hmm. probably not unreasonable i think it would be so anyways i think they're in that category where they could get away with it if it's audi or mercedes coming out and saying we're going to have an eight hundred thousand dollar halo car people would just be like 
that's too much for an Audi. Mm-hmm, right. <laughs> but I, yeah. think, I think Aston Martin could probably pull it off. Now, mm-hmm. in terms of the cap, seems like, you know, I, I just kind of reflect on this Road Rat article I read a while back where they talked about how these kind of limited run cars really, you know, can help fund these what are a little bit more niche companies. Right. You know, and help help them turn profits year. Yeah. After Bugatti year comes, so. Yeah, Bugatti comes out with a new variant Chiron yeah. or something. From my perspective, when I read that article, that seemed like the takeaway was that does need to be limited to, to mm-hmm. really achieve that and kind of demand those numbers. Now maybe you know, Stroll's consortium has looked at the numbers and said, actually, we think at this price point, we can move enough of them that we can, you know, kind of achieve a, a greater profitability, you mm-hmm. know, for the whole endeavor than limiting our production and charging more for those. Yeah. So they maybe they have a sense of that, but I still think what would have made me, you know, more sense would have been to have looked at it and said, Okay, you know, originally we we're gonna make whatever. Let's, I don't know what it was, two hundred, but yeah, well, five hundred. Yeah. So we're gonna originally make five hundred. Now we're gonna make a thousand, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of that, if you still got people banging on the doors, you say like, okay, we're gonna make five hundred more, and this is it. Mm-hmm. You know, just to yeah. kind of create the whole like, oh, this is this is it. You so know, this you is get in on. <laughs> This is where it gets really interesting to me. So one, so one rumors are that they, there have been some leaks from some Aston people, or at least supposedly Aston people that they're expecting they'll be able to sell about a thousand of these. So Mm -hmm. then that's where the math works, where if you're selling 500 at 1.3 million, but you think you can sell a thousand at 800,000, then you're making more. more money. What's interesting to me is this, this is the, route that McLaren has done that has gotten them absolutely destroyed in the yeah, resale market. Right? And okay. this was a, a big to-do back when the McLaren 675LT came out. They said they're making 500 of them uh, and owners, you know, bought them up or like, this is great. You know, I've got this super limited car. Well, demand was so strong. They then came out with a 675LT convertible and sold another 500 of them. And the, the people that bought the coupes were pissed. And mm. a lot of them swore they were never going to buy another McLaren, that they'd been lied to because they were promised that they weren't, there were going to be 500 of these in the world. Um, yeah. So I think it's, it's a dangerous road you walk if you're a car company that's saying, we're going to do, you're, you're asking someone to spend $800,000 on a car and you don't say what the final production run is going to be because yeah. that's going to significantly impact their ability to sell that car three years from now or five years from now, you know, exclusivity is the important thing at this level of, of car and money. I think so. And, and to, in, in my mind, like this doesn't affect me. I don't care about this. You know I mean? I think mm-hmm. the car's cool looking, but it, you know, I'll never buy that car. <laughs> so I right. don't really yeah. care about it. Theoretically it's neat. It looks kind of, it looks cool. I like the way it looks, mm-hmm. but I agree with you. I think the, individuals operating at, at that altitude i don't think they give a shit whether it's 1.3 million or 800,000 doesn't matter to them yeah. so you might as well yeah. charge them 1.3 because yeah. they don't care you know it's money's yeah. not not real to them you know yeah. it makes more of itself without 
I'm doing anything. Right. Yeah. Okay. No, I agree. I, I think it would have been smarter to cap production and charge more because then you at least haven't have this exclusivity that you can kind of you leverage yeah. for more money. The other thing that I think is interesting is, you know, Aston to me is is less of a sports car brand than they are a sports GT car brand. Yeah. You think I about the DBS, the the DB11, they're all kind of the same thing. They're if you take any of their cars and compare it to like for what Ferrari offers, you would you would say, well, the only thing that that Ferrari makes that's like an Aston Martin is the 812, which is a, a GT car. It's not a sports I mean it's not like a car you'd necessarily want to take on the track. Yeah. Um, and so I think it's interesting that Aston in my mind doesn't have near the cachet as someone like Ferrari. And so to come out with a car that has similar or lesser performance in terms of horsepower and whatnot to the SF90 and and char- try and charge $175,000 more. The only I, way I think Aston was going to get away with that is to cap production because the SF90 is a production car. It's not capped either. They'll make as many as they can sell. So the one thing Aston could have gotten over on Ferrari was saying, hey, ours is limited. Yeah. You know, you're not going to, we're not going to be making these until the tooling wears out, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and so to have, for them to give up what could have been a potential trump card for anyone that's considering one of these cars, I think is a big mistake. Now, maybe you're right. Maybe everyone that's buying one of these also has an SF90 because they're in funny money, stratospheric <laughs> wealth. But for anyone that's trying to decide what, what they might want, you know, I think Aston really shot themselves in the foot by not creating what a, a more limited production, especially if they're going to decrease the cost anyways, you know. Um, Do you think that they weren't selling the uh, selling out of the 500? Do you think that's, I mean, part of what, I mean, or was it just, it, it's an interesting know, question. I've heard that. Or, or um, was it, they came in and were like, how do we have we got to pay for this F1 team. Yeah, <laughs> you yeah. got to sell more of those cars, guys. It's, it's a really good question. I, I think all I know is that I've heard a lot of rumors that a lot of people that put down deposits when it was first introduced, <clears> now <throat> seeing the final thing and seeing what the price is and everything, ha- and finding out the production is not capped, a lot of people have requested their deposits back. Um, Interesting. And similar thing for the Valkyrie people are requesting their deposits back because they were promised a car that would be delivered in 2020 or 2021. And now they're being told, Oh, it's not going to be for another year. Like just mm-hmm. give them my money back. So I think yeah. Aston Martin is in real trouble and they're trying to kind of navigate out of what essentially were, were cars that were planned by the former administration. Yeah, and enough. now they're having to deliver it. And it's kind of like an, kind of like the redheaded stepchild. They don't, they don't want to be, they just want to get it out the door, you know? So yeah, uh, I think it's, that's a good it's, point. it's a very cool car that I think is in a, a predicament because of things were promised that are not being delivered. So it's tough. If the tough times for us and continue <laughs> <They're kind> of, <laughs> where they live is in the tough times. But, yeah, it's kind of uh, true, isn't it? So oh, I hope they stick around though. I do like them as a brand. The, it is. Cool cars. Yeah, it is. It, it reminds me of that road red article about trying to save 
these brands like Alfa Romeo and Aston that <laughs> everyone thinks are cool, but but that doesn't lead them to actually buy any of their cars. <laughs> I know, yeah. It's like, it's like the perennial, or at least this year, the Jalopnik joke is, uh, you know, there's a car shortage unless you're Alfa Romeo. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. No, I, it's, I mean, I'm guilty. Like, I think Aston Martins are very cool. I think Alphas are very cool. I, I would never want to own one. There's a too strong history of of them not working, you know, yeah. electrical issues. Then that's and kind of brutal, right? Because that's that's true of um oh even all the way back. I mean, even in the fifties and sixties, that was what you expected. You know, when BMW came out with the two thousand two, it was a little bit of a novelty because it wasn't in the shop. Yeah, you it know, actually as worked. much as the British. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you could get a 2002, or you could get like an MG. Yeah, and that's and MG, the MG was going to be in the shop half half of the year. Yeah, it's yeah. in the shop. <laughs> uh, well, yeah. Hopefully, Aston. You know, we'll see what they del- end up delivering. I mean, again, this was the they haven't. No one's driven any of these yet, uh, so we'll kind of see what how they end up shaking yeah. out, but. Um, the, the only other comment I'll make is I just think mm-hmm. it's stupid to come out and say that we're on track to have a Nuremberg lap time of 630. I mean, yeah, anybody can blow smoke like that. That's yeah. just such a dumb statement to make. Like, don't yeah. just say that we feel that we'll be very competitive with. Some yeah, I think it's record, really, you know, I totally agree. And it's like, we'll, we'll see you out there. Yeah, I totally agree. It's like, Okay, so you ran it in Gran Turismo? Like, I don't really Yeah, care, like, it's just know? so like, stupid, you know? Like, don't say that and then go out there and shatter it. Right. And then people yeah. are like, oh, my God. And how many are they making of these? Oh, I got to have one. Because now... Because now say they, that, now you're just going to disappoint people. That's exactly it. They, you know, their <laughs> simulations have run, you know, presumably, like, a decent... On a decently warm track, you know, with the yeah. driver making all the correct inputs. Here's what you get. Yeah. And it's like... Okay, so now if you don't get a six thirty, there's you're you're either going to disappoint everybody that's put down deposits, or what what they're going to do is run it and not release the time, and it's going to piss everybody <laughs> off in as well. It's, it's just that's it was a I bad mean. decision, yeah, you, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just um, wanted to end with that. Yeah, <laughs> I wanted to comment decision. on that. Um, well, we didn't get completely away from F one this week because. Uh, In the past week and a half, the new 2022 F1 car was revealed in this incredibly gaudy, like, uh, wrap. I don't know what they're, I I, I don't know if they thought it was like, I feel like it's a sticker that I would have, yeah. It's like, it's like the sticker you get at the dentist's office. Yeah. For like, you know, flossing for a week straight or something. You know what it reminded me? It reminded me of a seventh grade girl's trapper keeper. Like that's what it looked like. It's just like, what are you doing, guys? You know, and some sometimes stuff like that in the past, you know, is kind of cool, and then it becomes awful, and then yeah, x amount of time goes by, and it's like, oh, it's cool cool again. again. I don't know that we're there yet. No, I and the thing is, in like a day or two later after they reveal, someone released a bunch of mock-ups of the different uh, teams' liveries on the 2022 Mm -hmm. car. And it looks awesome. It's like, yeah, dude, yeah, exactly. why didn't yeah. you just do something like that? Anyways, so this new car, the goal is really to keep downforce reduction to a minimum. And by that, I mean, when a car is pulling up to somebody trying to pass them, uh, the dirty air coming off the lead car 
completely screws up the downforce on the car that's trying to get by. And that downforce is what helps them get around that lead car in a corner and, and allows them to keep up. So they want to try and create more, more close racing with this. So one of the major challenges that, that F1 has right now is outside of DRS zones, not a ton of overtaking happens unless a car is just flat out incredibly faster than the car it's trying to pass. So the 2022 car is going to basically reduce the amount of downforce loss in those close racing situations. So currently the, the 2021 car, when a car gets close to another, that car that's behind the lead car loses about 50% of its downforce because of the dirty air coming off the lead car. The new car, the 2022, that loss will only be 15%. And that's really come from simplifying the design of the front wing and the under tray. They're also adding larger 18-inch wheels, which I always thought F1 cars looked so funny with these massive sidefalls and tiny wheels. And there's going to be lower profile tires along with those wheels. What, what'll be interesting is, is part of what the, that sidewall was doing on the current cars is absorbing impacts and, and bounce, you know, rough surfaces mm-hmm. on the racetrack. So now this, <laughs> I think the drivers in this new car are going to get beat up even more. There's yeah, also, which, you, you know, know, might add some interesting strategy with, you know, staying on or off chicanes, I don't know, things like that. Yeah, maybe. the rumble strips and things like that. You're going to have just more beating up of the drivers. So And the uh, car, really. Yeah, totally. Now all the components are, are going to be taking more stress as well. So um, there's also a huge new rear wing that was redesigned that, to not throw the dirty air or the kind of used air coming mm-hmm. off the lead car directly at the car behind it uh, so that the car that's following is going to have more clean air to work with to try and keep up. Uh, so, I you know, I I thought that this car looks like something out of Tron, man. I loved it. What do yeah. you think? I, I agree. You know, it's got this, it's got this like futurism. So mm-hmm. you'd expect it to look cool, but it also has this like interesting retro vibe to me as well. Maybe it's mm-hmm. like the bigger tires or something, Yeah, but it, you know, it just, it looks like it kind of like Tron, you know, it's futuristic, but it's also this concept from the eighties. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, so that's kind of how I felt about the car. I thought, I'm really excited for it. I think a lot of the changes that they're making, I'm optimistic, are, you know, going to make racing a little bit more interesting. I mean, Mm -hmm. I I think it was this article somewhere I I vaguely remember reading about, like, all the simulations that they had done with it. Yeah. And... um, it that, was, you know, it was, it was, yeah, Amazon Web Services of all things basically helped oh. them go through like millions of, of yeah, iterations. iterations. And, so, you know, from that standpoint, it seems like it's probably going to work. Yeah. And I, so if we can get back to some more, you know, you know, try to get away a little bit from these, you know, DRS trains. Yeah. I think it would provide some more interesting racing. Oh, and so I'm optimistic. I, I am too. And the important thing to keep in mind is like, this is like the basic car, but in F1, every team gets to tweak the design and come up with systems kind of like Mercedes did with that <clears throat> dual axis steering, you know, yeah. system this season, they get to come up with these little tricks that try and work within the rules, but yeah, yeah, uh, do something the rivals aren't doing. And, and yeah. that's where I think the fun will really be. But, 
I think it'll be, I think it'll be great. I think it's going to lead to a lot of close racing that yeah. along with the, the, the caps to spending that are coming in 2022 as well should yeah. also <clears throat> make the gap between the haves and the have nots, not quite as wide. And I, I, you know, I don't think Haas's are going to be passing Mercedes because of these changes, but maybe, you know, an Alpine or a McLaren has a legitimate shot of winning a race on a day that the driver's doing really well, you know? Yeah. And I think that's one of the things that F1 and fans, everybody really needs to reflect on at the end of this is, you know, if it does, let's say even for like a season, maybe mm-hmm. it gives somebody like Haas or Alpine a leg up, right? you know, maybe these kind of abrupt evolutionary changes are something they just need to start considering every four or five years. Just yeah. to shake things up, because otherwise yeah. it's like you get Mercedes for the last. Six yeah, it's years. like Major League Baseball with the Yankees or something. You know, it's just yeah. like, all right, another year of the same thing. This is yeah. kind of interesting, but I mean, that's know. kind of what they're doing with the price cap. I mean, you know, we have we have wealth taxes and spending caps in in baseball and basketball. You know, and all these yeah. different major sports to to try and prevent stuff like this, right? Yeah. Um, to try and prevent, you know, a factory-backed Mercedes team from just being Dominating. able to outspend a team like Haas, and you're like, yeah. okay, well, we don't have a chance. Um, yeah, exactly. So it just, yeah. This just heightened <laughs> my excitement for the next season. As good as the season's been already, um, I'm really excited for next season. So yeah, me too. Um, back to the production car world. Um, this was kind of an interesting, out of the blue yeah. follow-up on a story that happened a while back, and I wanted to touch on it, but. Uh, Shelby Supercars, uh, which is not Carroll Shelby, but but a different Shelby up in I think he's in Washington State. But they they had created um, they've created a few supercars that have temporarily held world records. Back his first car um, held the world record for top speed until the Veyron took it back. But he admitted that his Tuatara didn't break 300 miles an hour. So. For those of you that, that don't know the original story, back in October 2020, they ran this car um, out. It's amazing. But people, you know, you can't fool the internet. Yeah. So a bunch of internet sleuths quickly did the math based on the visual markers. There were kind of, you know, highway markers by the road. And people said, okay, well, based on how fast these are going by in this video, there's no way you were anywhere close to 300 miles an hour. And uh, so there were a lot of questions asked. The company said, oh, no, we did it. We even had this uh, company that does V-Box, which is, you know, record speeds and acceleration and all stuff. We even had this company on site to, to, you know, verify everything. And that that company, that V-Box company came out and said, actually, no, we weren't there to verify anything. We didn't have anyone there. And so there, there was just all this backpedaling and they were silent for a long time. And so... Finally, this week on their Instagram account of all places, they said in a statement that that they were basically going to verify on, you know, put on record that they did not break 300 miles an hour on their run, let alone 331. Yeah. And they said the wording of their statement was really strange. They said, quote, we were truly heartbroken as a company to learn we did not reach this feat. And we are in an ongoing effort to break the 300 mile per hour barrier transparently, officially and undoubtedly. Now, what this, why this was strange to me is 
we're truly heartbroken to learn we didn't reach this feed. It's like, well, who told you you did? You were the ones that were there. You were the ones doing the measuring. (laughs) Yeah. It it almost says to me, I I almost wonder if Shelby, the owner of the company, if he lied to everybody. (laughs) You know? Yeah, I I agree. You you really do wonder. I mean, if if you guys have the capability to engineer a car like this, you, you think that you'd have the you know, engineering or mathematical wherewithal to, to measure some speed. Right. So it's a little bit confusing and yeah. I agree. I, I don't know. I, it's hard to say like exactly what happened, but the Instagram post and the responses, there's just a lot of words. It's just bizarre. Spoken, which <laughs> well, kind of makes me think some bullshit was going on. Yeah. <laughs> and so the car they used for their original run was actually the first customer car going to this. He's actually a physician in Philadelphia, if I recall correctly, <laughs> who's a car collector. After this whole initial kerfuffle happened, someone, he, he came, I think it was him or somebody came out and said, I will pay to have that highway shut down again for you guys to do another run to get it like a real time. And this time have people there watching and, you know, yeah. And I think, I don't think they, I think they did that and it didn't get above 300 again. I, so the whole thing just is really got really strange really quickly. And it's like, man, if you're, if you're building like million dollar plus hypercars like this, that people could very easily get in trouble with because they are so fast, like, and you're doing shifty stuff like this. It just, man, it, it is not, not a good look. Kind of makes you think that they might not be able to do it with the car. I mean, you know, maybe like all the numbers and the simulations said they could, but kind of getting yeah. back to that dumb statement about the Nuremberg, you know, until you get out yeah. there on the road and do it, you don't know. You haven't done well, it. I look at it like this, like this is basically a dude in a shed. I mean, I'm sure he has great engineers and stuff, but it's a very, very small company. And they're coming out and saying they did this. Well, you know, he has a little bit of, of, um, cachet because the ultimate arrow, his first car did legitimately break the record until the Veyron, uh, super sport came along and beat it. I think of it like this, if a company, the size of Bugatti funded by VW has to do this ungodly amount of engineering to make the Chiron, you know, go 300 plus miles an hour. If it takes that amount of work and that amount of manpower and, and money and yeah, whatnot, from a legacy automotive, from a, you know, from a, group. yeah, someone that knows how to build cars what's the likelihood, you know, and they've said for years, <laughs> like, they're, they're working with Bugatti. Yeah. And I mean, Bugatti's working with Michelin to specially engineer these tires yeah. to not blow apart at these speeds. You know, how, what's the likelihood that, yeah, yeah, this dude in a shed is going to come out <laughs> with a car that can not only beat the, you know, not only go over 300, but like can beat the Chiron's top speed by like 20 miles an hour. It's like, just the whole thing it does seem sense. yeah when you look at it that way and you say it that way it does seem a little absurd <laughs> um, anyways we'll see i'm sure that saga is going to continue on uh because it's it's just so bizarre the whole <laughs> thing was just bizarre but um moving on to something a little less seedy uh and our last topic for the day uh short one but i thought it was really cool so 
Chevy released the first audio uh, of the new Corvette Z06, the C8 Z06, which is powered by a naturally aspirated flat plane crank V8 that will likely, likely, you know, n- nothing's confirmed yet, but will likely rev close to 9,000 RPM and make over 600 horsepower. And it's going to be paired with an eight-speed dual-clutch transmission, and it's expected to start around $85,000. Now, did you get a chance to listen to this I did. audio clip? Oh, what do you think? <clears throat> I thought it sounds pretty cool. Oh, um, yeah. You know, I think it kind of somebody in one of the comments, I was just perusing the comments because I always find those interesting. Yeah. <laughs> on these car websites. But yeah. um, they seemed pretty enthusiastic. And I thought, yeah, you know, after, um, you know, some of these American, you know, manufacturers kind of bounced back after the recession, they really, they have, they've put out some really cool cars. Yeah, and and this is one of them. It it sounds really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll be, I think, impressive, especially for that price point. Like, wow! Yeah, I mean, cool. Cor- Corvette has really locked down that price point of, of just so. I mean, the most performance for the money. Yeah, like, there's certainly tons of cars that can beat it, but all those cars are well into the six figures. I mean, it. Yeah, I think it sounds amazing. Um, you know. I like some of the mock-ups I've seen of what it's probably going to yeah, look like. Um, I agree. It looks really cool. It's interesting. So uh, a friend of a friend of ours emailed me Thursday or Friday, I think it was, with this with the, with a the link, link to this clip, and he said, he said, I'm intrigued. And he, he our friend is a big Corvette guy, and yeah. he's like, I'm intrigued by this. He's like, but <laughs> there's never been a Z06 that's made less power than the Z06 from the generation before. And hmm. he said, "The it seems unlikely that a flat plane crank V8 could produce more horsepower than the C7 Z06 made, and not shake itself apart because the GT the Shelby GT350R had a lot of issues with vibration and yeah, so like the, resonance and stuff. Yeah, <laughs> it, it has resonance issues, and, and the engine basically will shake itself apart over time, like stuff comes loose and." And so, you know, he said, do you think it's even possible to make an engine like this? I said, well, Ferrari's done it. So the F430 was a flat plane crank V8. The AMG GT Black Series is a flat plane crank V8. So it, I think it's possible. It's just that the interesting part is these flat plane crank V8s have less torque just because of the physics behind how they make power. Um and so it might not be as torquey as the last C7 Z06, which could be interesting. But I told him, I said, you know, if you're taking this to a track, which is kind of what this is made for, you, you want to keep it on boil. You know, you're wanting to stay yeah. six to 9,000 RPMs all the time. It's almost like driving like my car, like a GT3 yeah. RS on the track. Like you don't want your engine falling below like 6,000. Because that's yeah. all the power is being made up there. And it sounds freaking amazing, which is why. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's probably, this. yeah, the theater that's going to come with it, with that yeah. sound is going to be wor- well worth I mean, it. I mean, and I think they Even know that. I think that's, torque. yeah, I think they know that. And that's why they released an audio clip before they've even shown the car. Yeah. It's like, we know this. Yeah, when I heard like, it, I was like, no, that's not a Chevy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was like, first I mean, thought that went through my yeah. head. I was like. Yeah. I thought I was sending you an ad or something for something different. No, no. <laughs> I was it, like, wait, wait like, a minute, that was it? Yeah, wow. the hounds of Ellerby unleashed, you know. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So yeah. I the other thing I loved about this is unlike 
the AMG GT Black Series flat plane crank V8, which is a twin turbo, this is naturally aspirated. So I think that's also really impressive. Assuming this engine doesn't just detonate, I think the <laughs> this could be in that in that category of one of the last great yeah. non-hybrid, non-forced induction engines out there. Yeah, it is honestly so. it's bananas if 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 it's real and they can yeah. do it. It is actually very fascinating. Yeah. Know? So I think Just like you said, it's very intriguing. We'll we'll see. Yeah. But I think you gotta the think next... if they're releasing sound clips and yeah. you know, visual mock-ups of a car that they're it's in it's on yeah. its way to production. Like they're well confident. and here's the thing. So, we we talked back when the GT three debuted, the new the nine nine two about some <clears> of the stress testing they'd done. And I, yeah. I have to believe Chevy has done stuff like that too. So yeah, exactly. I don't think they're going to release a car like this without having beaten on that engine in ways that no owner is ever likely to do. Yeah. You know, so it would know, behoove I, them to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, unless they want a massive recall. Um, yeah, exactly. But I'm excited. I think we're supposed to see the the full, you know, Z06 in the flesh in in the next month or two. So it should be really exciting. But um, yeah, just you know, just another thing for someone who whose love of cars really started with how they sounded. Uh, yeah. This was this was a uh, definitely appealing to me. So yeah. Um, well, anything else you want to add, buddy? No, that's great. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Um, please uh, be sure to you know subscribe to us on iTunes or Podbean. Leave a comment. Leave a rating. Um, all that stuff really helps us. Find us at the Blow Off Podcast on Instagram. You can uh, leave comments there as well, um, show ideas, anything else you, you want to talk about. Uh, it's a good place to find us. And we'll be back next week. It's the Hungarian Grand Prix uh, That's what next it is. week. And uh, we'll be back with some reactions to that. So uh, until then, we'll see you next time.